Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Entrepreneur Podcast, where I, Caitlin Fritz, help you reach your entrepreneurial potential. Together, we can build your dream social impact business so that you can leave a legacy beyond your nine to five. Hello, hello. Welcome to this episode of Everyday Entrepreneurship. My name's Caitlin, and I am so glad to have you here with me today. Because today we're going to discuss something that I feel like is not often talked about. That beginning stage of entrepreneurship. Feeling underestimated and overwhelmed. And how do you persevere through that to build a business with impact? That's why today on the show, I have Naman Turkwell of Breer. Nauman is an incredible example of what entrepreneurship is. He has overcome various highs, hurdles, and lows with his business, which he co-founded with some of his best friends. In our interview today, we're going to be talking about what is it like to overcome that feeling of being underestimated, being the small fry, the new kid on the block in such an established business like the beer and alcohol industry. We're also going to talk about the power of relationships and how those intertwine with entrepreneurship. And of course, we're going to have some great stories about how he and his friends found inspiration for their business out of all places, in a bakery and in a club. You have to listen in to hear his insights. I'm so excited to have him here. Let's welcome Naman. First of all, thank you for the invitation, Caitlin. My name is Naman and I am from India. I was born and brought up in India and I did my entire education in India as well before I decided to come to Hong Kong to pursue my undergraduate studies. You know, while we're here talking about Breer, something about me is that I come from a very traditional business family in India. Like three generations of my family have been doing business. And that's why, you know, I come from a very specific community where business runs in our waves. So all my dinner table conversations potentially have been about business, entrepreneurship, finance, taxes. And I would say that was my masterclass to, you know, like business 101. And then as a result, I actually started my first company at the age of 14. So I started my first company back in the day. And then that was a financial literacy company. And then I ended up selling that company in 2017. So I've already, you know, taken that journey of an entrepreneur before. And I think one thing which was really enlightening about that experience is that entrepreneurship gives you so many things at once. Like at college, you learn one thing at a time, but entrepreneurship, you're doing supply chain, you're doing finance, you're doing marketing, you're doing accounting, you're doing everything possible at once. And I think that's the best, you know, learning any student should potentially ever get. Like do a failed startup, but I would encourage anyone to just start up and see how much you can learn in that, you know, period of you building a company yourself. So I'm a passionate builder. I love building things and I have a passion for actually solving, you know, societal problems through social entrepreneurship action. 
so that's why my companies previously have been in financial literacy and with brio what we're trying to solve is more food conservation and sustainability and i just personally believe that the definition of entrepreneurship has to be that you have to attempt solving a you know large enough problem through entrepreneurial action and yeah that's my life mission to utilize my privilege to you know give back to the society and make the society a better place to live I love that. I love that. And I think you're absolutely right. It's about going out there, trying it, doing it, mixing all those learnings together. So then were your parents and family quite supportive on your entrepreneurial journey since you grew up with this? Yeah, I mean, they have been highly supportive since my first entrepreneurial venture. Like, I was never a hardworking student. Like, I always managed to get good grades. And I, honestly, that's what Indian parents care about. Like, you know, they care about good grades. So whether you study 12 hours to get the good grades or whether you study two hours to get the good grades, they care about the good grades. So they have been very supportive in my entrepreneurial journey. Like, Honestly, beyond my parents, I have been very fortunate to have the right mentors in my life. Like both of my parents never received a, you know, formal college education. So they did not know how to guide me in that whole journey of, you know, what to do next or how to go about next. But I've been very fortunate to have mentors who, you know, literally did that for me. I have sat down in my mentor's office for like four years straight during my high school. I built my company from there. Even for my company address at that time, it was not my home address. It was my mentor's office address because that's where I've built my companies, right? So I've received a very unconditional supportive system from my parents, from my mentors. And I think that's again a blessing because if you get that system, you'll able to scale things quicker without any obstacles or challenges. I love that. I think that's totally awesome. And I find it hilarious that it was your mentor's address, not your own address. <laughs> that That's a real relationship. Speaking about relationships, you started Breer with some of your best friends. So tell us a little bit more about the founding story of Breer. How did this get started? And how did all of you come together to make this happen? Honestly, I like I tell everyone that, you know, Breer is a classic case of serendipity that you just had to be at the right place at the right time. So some context is that all three other co-founders are actually an year older to me. So I was actually their junior. And so when I joined HKUST, I had this one single agenda that I want to meet like-minded people. And I very I came in with the idea that, you know, like academics one side, but I really want to attempt solving a large enough problem. And call it serendipity, as I say, but, you know, I ended up attending this orientation for a specific social entrepreneurship competition called Inactus. So I just went there just to see, you know, like what the competition is all about, because I saw so many of my friends doing this in India. So when I went there, that's where I bumped into Anushka and Devansh, two of my co-founders for the first time. And I did not know them at all. That was our first interaction. But, you know, that, you know, that first spark that we, we literally hit it off. We started bouncing off ideas of each other that, hey, we could do this. Hey, we could do that. So the team was formed even before we had an idea. So, you know, like we had the team before we even we had the idea. And then we were like, okay, now what do we work on for this specific competition? And then the idea came to us. So the story was hilarious. So HKUST, basically at university is in like one corner of Hong Kong. It's like a suburb university. So it's like one corner. And all of us surprisingly were taking one same course at HKUST and we ended up 
taking that exam in like end September and that exam was like right after the evening so our exam ended at like nine and everything on campus was shut in terms of restaurants eating whatever and we were like okay we need to celebrate because exams have ended so we ended up taking a cab and going to like a nearby market where there was one bakery open and we just ended up you know like going to that bakery to like eat bread and get coffee and whatever and then what we saw was that the baker because it was closing time they were taking all of the breads which were unsold from that day putting them in a black rubbish bag and then just discarding them and then we asked them that hey, like, why are you doing that? That can be donated, that can be, you know, like recycled. That There are so many reuses for that bread. Why are you discarding it? They're like, all of those reuses are more expensive than us discarding it. I'm like, fair, but then, you know, you're wasting good food. So that's when we actually, you know, came across the problem that, okay, bread waste is a huge problem. And then we obviously researched about bread waste. And then we learned that, you know, Hong Kong is wasting so much food for a population of 7 billion people. But again, we only know the problem. We don't know the solution at all. And I'll come to the solution story. So we actually identified the solution while we were partying or clubbing in the clubbing district of Hong Kong. So all of us were at this area called Lang Kwai Fong, which is like the clubbing district of Hong Kong. And I ended up striking a conversation with a bartender who was also a home brewer. And he have just, you know, randomly mentioned to me that you can make beer from bread because that's how beer was originally made in the 1400s and the 1500s. Like it's a very traditional Egyptian recipe that they used to make beer from bread. And that was the Eureka moment. They're like, okay, we saw the problem one week ago. Now we have the solution. Now all we need to do is do the research. So like, that's how we came across the idea. But then we actually met as a team once, like in HKUST, like we had that meeting that, okay, now we have the problem. Now we have the solution. Let's get working on it. We met once and then COVID happened. And then we were in different parts of the world for like close to one and a half year. Someone's in the US, someone's in India, someone's in Doha, someone's in like some other place. So we were all over the place. And that is where I think the team really bonded. Like, you know, we took brewing lessons together online. Like I'm a YouTube learned brewer. So we learned brewing online. We did every possible thing. Like we were mad scientists in our kitchen doing some sort of home brews, blowing up our kitchens, getting scolded from our moms. We've done all of that stuff before we came to our even first commercial pilot batch. So it's been a journey with my co-founders. And I would say that it's a very unconditional sort of a relationship because when you start something with your friends, then if you have your exams, you can just be like, hey guys, I'll be taking downtime for a week. Can someone fill in for me for some of the other roles? So like, even though we have those positions of CEO, CEO, CFO, like it's very interdisciplinary that everyone's doing everything. And that's how this team has been able to come this far. Oh, I love that. And I think that's hilarious that taking home brewing lessons in the midst of COVID, mm -hmm. like that is the ultimate sign that you are trying your idea, iterating. And I can only imagine what your kitchens look like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then when did you know you were on to something? So obviously you were testing and you were iterating. When did you know, okay, like we can actually do this? Yeah, so I think this was May 2020 when we actually reached the final round of that Enactus competition, which we began with, and it was May 2020. And then we actually ended up winning that competition in Hong Kong. And then we became the Hong Kong representatives in the China round. And then we ended up winning that as well. 
And so we garnered like a good amount of prize money, like good at least in those times, it was really nice that, you know, like you got this amount of money and the ideal case would have been, okay, let's just distribute it, take it to ourselves and, you know, like have a good ball. However, we thought that, Hey, like this money anyway is not going to break any barriers, you know, anytime soon in our lives, because we have, we're fortunate enough and we're privileged enough to have parents who can support us. So might as well use that money, which we received as competition money and invest into the company. So like that was that moment that, you know, we got so much praise and feedback during the competition that this is an unheard of idea. Like we haven't heard of this before. And obviously food waste is a big problem and everyone in Hong Kong knew about it. So we knew that there will be market acceptance. However, for the overall team, that was our idea or initiation going forward. But I would personally say that being an entrepreneur previously as well, I was honestly waiting for customer validation before we nailed down the idea that, hey, like now the customers want it. So I think in June, we did our first commercial pilot test batch of 20 liters, which was done in a brewery, like not in our homes or anything. It was done in a proper commercial brewery. And then we did 20 or 21 failed batches. Like, you know, some were salty, some were sweet, some were not even drinkable. So like we did a lot of trial and error before we actually came up with an edible batch. I wouldn't even say it was tasty, but it was just (laughs) edible. And then I was like, first instinct, let's set up a booth at any place and then let's make customers try it because we can be in our own echo chambers. And when we made customers try it, and then we did a couple of blind tastings and people would not be able to differentiate between a normal beer, like a Heineken, a Corona or a Kingfisher versus like our beer. That is when I realized that if we can be an alternative, like we're not telling you to change your preference we're giving you an alternative that if you're still going out on a friday night do or drink a beer which can save 20 grams of bread per can so that is when i realized that okay we're on to something now because customers want it and there's clearly an acceptance of taste because we knew that you know we're obviously doing a good cause like that's something which is irreplaceable but customers will only buy fnb products if they have good taste and that's where we came up with our tagline that does good but tastes better Absolutely. Yeah, especially in the food and fast moving consumer goods. It can be beautiful branding. It can be doing wonderful things. But if it doesn't taste good, that's a one off purchase and not coming back. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) So then obviously you started your first business quite young. And even with Breer, some would say you started that quite young. Have people ever underestimated you or because of your age? or because of your background being students doing this brewery? I would love to hear if you've experienced anything like that. Oh, always. Like from my first company till Breer, I think um, the one thing which has been constant is skepticism that, you know, people will question you and people will underestimate you at every level. But honestly, like, you know, this is something which obviously I've learned from my father that never reply to them in words, but always in action. Right. So I firmly believe in that. And I think with the first company, because people like, okay, this is a small kid trying to do something. So people, you know, treated me as that kid. But with Breer, because we were still adults, we were still university students. The challenge was that, you know, Hong Kong as a market and specifically in terms of craft beer is a very close knit market. Like everyone knows everyone. There's this craft brewer association of Hong Kong as well. So 
there's basically a whole community around craft beer and all of them are like 40 year old plus males with like three females in that community right and then we were like these four kids whose combined age is 80 and you know like all of us are like 20 year olds trying to you know make a mark in this industry so i think for the first six to seven months there was like absolutely no regard to like these kids are trying to do something that like they were just discounting us that okay this is a student project they want to earn some credits they want to earn something for their you know like master's profile or something like that or they want to earn a good job and that's why they're doing it but no one actually took us seriously before we actually got our first major contract. So I think early on in our development of Breer, we got our contract with Pizza Hut for a pilot batch of 10 stores and where we did a good enough volume for them. And that is where people actually started recognizing us. And then we were still working with a low scale brewery where the maximum brew size is like 500 liters. And then when you make that jump from 500 liters to like a 3000 liter batch or a 4000 liter batch, people like, oh, now now they're getting serious like now they have money to be able to afford those batches and one thing which we never faced an issue for is capital because hong kong as an ecosystem is so supportive like we still haven't diluted a single percent of equity and we still have like five million hong kong dollars in cash reserves that's because, amazing. <laughs> yeah, because it's such a supportive ecosystem. Like you go to any competition, you win X money, you get so many grants from the government. You know, there's this whole ecosystem called Hong Kong Science and Technology Corporation, which is like you enter that place and you're like, you're entering another world. Like there are flying robots, there are walking dustbins and, you know, it's like another ecosystem. And we received like a 1.3 million Hong Kong dollar grant from there as well. So We've been very fortunate to be working in Hong Kong, first of all, because capital has never been an issue for us. So the only issue which we had to solve was acceptance in the market. And that was a constant uphill battle. Even with the Pizza Hut order, people still discounted us as like, okay, one off order. It's okay. You know, like they were trying to support kids. But now I think with Maxims, like we have a partnership with Asia's largest food and beverage company. They own 70% of bread supply chain in Asia. And the amount of support Maxims has given us, like they have signed one of Asia's biggest actress as the brand ambassador behind our collaboration product. And now all the breweries are like, hey, how did these guys get it? Because the volumes which we're doing with Maxims is like mind boggling. Like even major established breweries are failing to do those volumes, which we are doing with Maxims. And it's a sign forward that Maxims trusted a company which was not even three years old to do something or to take on this project, which is this big. And I think now no one can discount us and say that, hey, like these are just kids who are trying to do it because we look them eye to eye and say that, hey, we're competitors. Tell me more about your most recent collaborations. And also, I know because I've worked with you in the past, Breer is doing both environmental impact as well as social impact. Mm -hmm. So share with us, how are you meeting those impact goals with these big scale collaborations? 
the idea of big scale collaborations actually came to us at the end of 2021 where we were like individually as a brand we can only do limited things and it'll take us a long time to scale however if we get the support of like major organizations especially someone like maxims then the scale for us becomes rapid and we can basically take that hockey stick with us and grow on that hockey stick so we actually started our collaboration with maxims end of 2021 and this is our own this conversation we had with Maxim that we're hopeful that in the whole of 2022 we'll be able to sell around 4000 liters of beer and we sold 4000 liters of beer in 15 days oh my gosh and we ended up doing over 20000 liters of beer in that whole year considering that 6 months of hong kong was in lockdown due to covid So there was only six months of active market sales, and we ended up doing twenty thousand liters, where we estimated four thousand for the whole year. And that just goes out to say the scale which Maxims was able to give to Breer, the recognition which Maxims was able to give to Breer, and. I only have gratitude for that opportunity because you know without that opportunity we would still be slowly growing. It's not like we would not be growing, but with that opportunity we like hyper scaled in a way. And with that support, we were able to hyperscale not only our business but also our impact goals. Because from day one, we have been a socially aware and a socially responsible company, and we take our SDGs seriously. We don't put them on our PPT decks just for the sake of it. Like we actually take them seriously, and that's why for each and every step, like even in terms, okay, let's talk about environmental impact. We absolutely mention the environmental impact which one person makes on the can. if you're drinking that can you're getting to know how much impact did you make and how do we calculate that impact it's not like we did some random calculation we actually paid money to hire a third party auditor who has done an environmental audit on our brewing process and then we get to those numbers so because we don't want to do any sort of greenwashing we don't want to do any sort of lying to our consumers we want to be connected to our consumers and we want to make our consumers proud that hey with each can you're saving 20 grams of bread you're saving x tons of carbon emissions so we want to be very transparent with them and i think that has obviously helped us win the heart of customers because they're like okay this company actually cares about the environment and beyond that i think beyond the environment we realized that there's so much potential in hong kong to you know work on other societal problems while you're building your company as well and that comes at no cost to the company if it would have been a cost i would understand as to why other companies are not doing it but there's absolutely no cost to it like we four co-founders are from ethnic minority background in hong kong and ethnic minorities i would say do not get the best treatment in hong kong like there is clearly a superiority for the Chinese Chinese race and the Hong Kongese race, and that's why ethnic minorities don't get the best treatment. And we were like, if we have to hire people, why don't we hire people who are from this background? Invest something in their training, which we would have otherwise anyway done, and then have able, skilled employees working for the company. So. we were like it's very simple like if it is a cost in short term it is an investment in the long term so if you're investing in their training it's actually good because it's going to get back return in form of returns to your company sooner or later so that was one thing which we very passionately do second thing which we do very passionately at breer is actually sustainability awareness 
like we conduct workshops not only companies and brands but we also conduct workshops amongst like regular people normal citizens even kids in schools we've collaborated with an ngo called kids for kids and we've done so many workshops teaching them about why is sustainability important and why is you doing something in sustainability important because the generation which is outgoing they have worsened the planet for us and now it's on to us to make something better off it so be very passionate you know promote the flag and you basically promote the cause of sustainability and entrepreneurship and sustainability and then other than that even with bread donations food donations anything which is left over from our brewing processes and is obviously safe for human consumption we partner with restaurants and we donate that bread it's just that each and every point of our supply chain we want to be a socially aware and a socially impactful organization because we're creating change with our products anyway but why not do it across the entire supply chain like I'll tell you a very simple example. So when you make beer, there is something which is left over in the beer making process, which is called brewer's spent grain. Now in Hong Kong, the sad part is that no brewery is actually at the ground floor because no one can afford ground floor rents in Hong Kong. It's like crazy. So all breweries are at like first floor, second floor, third floor. And when you make that beer, the brewer spent grain is so nutritious, but at the same time, it's very heavy and bulky. So the best alternative for any brewery, okay, let's just throw it. And that's like, you made beer and you got something so nutritious, but you ended up throwing it because you don't want the hassle. And we were like, no, we're not going to do that. So right now we donate all of our brewers spent grain. We spent from our own pocket, but we donate all of that brewers spent grain to a pig farm so that all of the pigs can actually eat that nutritious book for free. And now we're working with food scientists at Hong Kong Science Park, where we're trying to experiment with a recipe like we've almost cracked the prototype where we're going to use the brewer's spent grain and create bread from it again. So we're wow. going to create one of the only fully closed circular economy models where we're going to start from bread, make beer, use the brewer's spent grain and make bread again. So that we're going to cool. close the circular economy loop. And that's something which came so intuitively to us that, hey, why is someone else not doing it? If you just have that element that, hey, we want to do something for the society, this would have been a very instinctive thought. So we came up with the idea and now we're working on it. And similarly, we don't want to be restricted to only bread. Like with Maxims, we recently last month launched a beer where Maxims don't only own like bread shops, they own coffee shops. So they own Starbucks in Asia as well. And they were like, hey, we also have a lot of coffee ground wasted. Like you make coffee from the beans and the powder, which is the ground, which is left. We're like, okay, let's do something with it. So now we made a coffee beer, something like a Guinness, just because you're in the UK. So something like a Guinness, but it's flavored through surplus coffee grounds. So the coffee grounds, which would have otherwise been discarded and sent to the landfill are now being repurposed to make a beer. So again, it's innovation across the entire supply chain, but that innovation is seeded with the thought that we need to do something for the planet. We need to do something for the society. That is incredible. And I think those sparks of innovation, you have the time, the space and the support to really like investigate every step. It's not just about the status quo. This is how we brewed 500 years ago. This is how we have to brew now. It's really this new method. And obviously, this is how you guys got Forbes 30 under 30 Asia. It's a no brainer at this point <laughs> for all of your social impact. So having this journey through entrepreneurship, 
what would you recommend to someone starting out who really wants to make an environmental social impact with their business? What advice would you give them? I think, first of all, I would say to anyone that you should be self-aware because don't jump into entrepreneurship if you're not meant for entrepreneurship because you know right now we're in this phase where entrepreneurship has finally become sexy and cool like you know everyone wants to add a founder everyone wants to be a founder and a ceo but it's a very tough journey we hide a lot of pain behind these smiles it's a very tough journey so first of all i would ask anyone who's actually willing to become an entrepreneur to introspect and see whether do i have that one necessary trait to be an entrepreneur which is persistence or perseverance or how, however you want to put it but it's like if you fail you're going to keep going as an employee you hardly care about that because you're working from 10 to 6 and then your next day working from 10 to 6 but an entrepreneur is working from like 7 to 12 and then they're working from 6 to 8 like I don't know but they don't have fixed working hours and it's very glorified on the outside but it's very ugly on the inside when you look at it right so that's my first tip for anyone who wants to be an entrepreneur but the second tip is that i always say this that our mind is the biggest graveyard of ideas like we think of an idea and the idea gets killed in our mind itself but i honestly believe in this that the more we wait for that hypothetical perfection or you know like it is a classic case of analysis paralysis like the more you analyze the more you get paralyzed with the ideas that's why if you think that idea is good today with the infrastructure and the support you have in the world it takes less than 48 hours to actually do an mvp and test it out with the people you have take two days do an MVP, do a prototype. If it's something meaningful, if the idea, if the TAM is big enough, if you know there is acceptance in the market, just go ahead and do it. You can figure everything out. Just go ahead and do it. You can get co-founders later on. You can get everything later on in the journey. But if you don't start, like starting is 50% of the job done. And then the rest 50% is actually building it. So those are two tips about entrepreneurship, but specifically in terms of sustainability entrepreneurship, I would say that you need to be really passionate about the cause because we are faced with the conflict every day during Brio's lifetime as well that, hey, like might as well just not use bread. Everyone just still thinks that you're using bread that, you know, like you'll save up on so much cost, like you can get more margins, you can get more profit. But do we really want to do that? Because do did we start the company for the profit? profit or did we start the company for the purpose right and if you're staying true to the purpose of your company only then you'll be able to scale the profit in your company so i believe that staying true to the purpose is very important and now i think sustainability has become such an open field like my father used to tell this to me that if i would have learned coding in the 90s i would have been someplace right now in the 2020s because computers and internet did so much to our society and now the same is being said for sustainability that if you don't know you know things about environmental science or if you don't know things about sustainability then you won't have a place in the next 20 years because companies will also have to think about sustainability and startups anyway have to think about sustainability. So if you have to start something, start it in the green space, 
it's such a wide spectrum like i'm meeting entrepreneurs every day someone starting like mycelium based pet cookies or someone starting like you know fruit based juices or something or the other because it's such a open landscape right now and there's no right way to do it because everyone's just scratching the surface and everyone's just pounding the pavement and trying to make their way out right so there's no right way to do it until unless you just have a good idea with breer i would say that at the end of the day breer remains to be a marketing story right like it is a marketing story and it is how you market it we know we're true to our cause but if you don't tell that cause to people you fail half of the battle yes we're saving bread but we need to tell people that we're saving bread and that's why if you look at our can it shouts bread you know it has a bread cut out it has a bread closing it has everything related to bread because people need to know what we're working on so anyone who wants to be a sustainability entrepreneur first do self interest section second be true to your cause and third work on an idea which is something innovative has a large enough tam to address and there is acceptance by the people in whatever geography you're working in i think there's so much wisdom there so thank you so much for joining us is there anything else you want to add or tell people where they can find you One thing I would say that Breer recently got onboarded as a vendor for the Hong Kong Tourism Board, and now you will be seeing like different advertisements of Breer when you're entering into Hong Kong. Like one thing I'll say is that with our collaboration with Maxims, because we did so well with our Maxims collaboration, now different companies are reaching out to us. So airlines are reaching out to us and saying that, hey, can you create a custom product for our airline? So anytime you might be flying into Hong Kong, starting two quarters from now. Now, you'll be seeing Breer products on the flight catalog as well. So it's an exciting time to come to Hong Kong. And if you ever come to Hong Kong and you're one of Caitlin's listeners, please hit us up. We love to give you a brewery tour. We love to make you sample some of the crazy beers which we're working on. And trust me, we're working on very crazy beers, beers which you haven't imagined before, like. beers which have never been created before in the whole world we're working on those beer ideas and we'd love for everyone to try for the world to try we're already planning our scale to singapore and other asian markets soon and hopefully global market is on the cards very soon as well but thank you so much kitlin for inviting thank me you. and the breer team what i loved about speaking with naman is his ability of having a holistic approach to impact He recognizes that at every single stage of the value chain, he is looking at ways his business can improve whether it's society or the environment. I also really enjoyed that he shared his insights coming from a business family, but embarking on such a large industry like the beer industry. He's able to build, learn and grow with his incredible team and now they've been recognized from Forbes 30 under 30 among a plethora of other awards and recognition. I hope you learned as much as I did and are inspired by Naman's journey. If you're interested in learning more about Breer and how you can get your hands on one, check out the show notes where there'll be links to Breer's Instagram and website. Thank you all for joining in and I hope to see you next time on Everyday Entrepreneurship. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Everyday Entrepreneurship. To stay tuned and most up to date, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can follow me, Caitlin Fritz on Instagram. 
And if you have any questions about building your business with impact, drop me an email with the link in the show notes. This podcast is produced by the great people at the Podcast Boutique. I look forward to catching up with you next week. See you then.